Hi everyone, it's Joachim Akren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In this podcast episode, I'm talking to Karolin Krenzer, who is the co-founder and CEO of Trailmix, a mobile game studio well-known for their hit merge game Love and Pies. Karo has an extensive background from free-to-play and mobile games, and she has been doing her own startup now since 2017. We talk about many things on this episode, like what Karo learned from working at Playfish and building the London Studio for King, then on hiring, team building, and how execution on your core gameplay matters so much when you're building games in an established games genre. All right, we are live. Hi, Karo. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Joachim. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. It's really interesting to talk with you. you you've seen a lot in gaming, in free-to-play through your career. So there's, there's a lot of things to, to talk about and also the entrepreneur stuff that you've been involved in the recent years. That's amazing stuff so but like first off can you give a short like few minute introduction to how you made your way into gaming and to eventually start uh, trail mix sure i guess my way into gaming was quite a roundabout way and and very unexpected i guess to start at the beginning i'm i'm from a tiny village in germany and i guess my primary goal in life early on was to get out of this village. And so I actually went to Brazil as a high school exchange student when I was 15 and spent a year there. And that is kind of where I caught sort of like the travel bug and also met a lot of people who inspired me who kind of like knew more clearly what they wanted out of life. And I guess when you're 15, you don't really need to know what you want out of life. But I guess I really wanted to explore different things and understand what, what it is that makes me happy in life. And it really drives me. I actually tried out a lot of things in terms of I lived in a lot of different countries. I worked in a lot of different industries. I lived in China. I lived in, in Canada, in France, Portugal, Luxembourg, all kinds of places. Worked in real estate in banking and business development and supply chain management. I, I went to business school and after I, I graduated from business school, I still didn't quite know what I wanted to do. And so I, I went down the kind of usual path of business school graduates and I joined a management consulting company. And so I joined Accenture, which was a great learning experience because you really you really learn how to <laughs> how to how to learn very quickly and also work very hard to be fair but i realized pretty quickly that that is not something that's that's going to make me happy and that that i that i was still kind of like lost in you know my pursuit of finding something that gives me meaning in my my work life by chance i actually met someone here in london who worked for playfish at the time and she told me about her work as a product manager on these facebook games and it all sounded very intriguing and I had no idea about games, but I was quite open to the idea of exploring that avenue. So I came to London uh, and met the Playfish people and saw the Playfish office and was just so inspired that that is actually something that you can do for work. <laughs> and it was also an exciting time because 
I guess, especially free to play was brand new and there weren't really many people who had a clue how to manage free to play um, mobile games. And they for really the first time were games that were for everyone, right? And especially also for a female audience. And I guess that hadn't really existed before. And so I joined Playfish, resigned from Accenture. My Accenture colleagues were very confused that I wanted to <laughs> to, to make women for games. I guess they, they really didn't know. They were envious, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, now they're definitely envious. But And I had an absolutely amazing time at, at Playfish. I was the product manager on, on Restaurant City to begin with which completely blew my mind because I, I priced virtual items. And I was like, how do you price virtual items? And, and also at the time, there weren't actually designers on the team. So I guess the product managers were actually expected to design features. And so there was a very steep learning curve and just such a great first gaming experience. And I then moved on to head up product management for the Sim Social after EA acquired Playfish. And then after a couple of years there, I had the opportunity to join King to help set up the King London studio. That was before Candy Crush actually launched on mobile. So Candy Crush was live on Facebook. It did okay. It was still smaller than the Playfish games, but I think it really intrigued me how a simple game can be can be so much fun and what you what you can do with you know such a great core mechanic and pretty much no content or not not a lot of content furnace and and i met the the king leadership team and i was quite inspired by by their vision and what they wanted to do with the london studio so actually a few of us went from playfish to join king to set up the london studio we hired a designer and an artist in the first week when we joined uh, king and this designer is now my co-founder tristan and the artist is now our lead artist sean and together we made farm hero saga which turned into 1.5 billion dollar franchise for King and which also helped, I guess, us as a company to have an IPO and then obviously later, you know, getting acquired by Activision and now getting acquired by Microsoft. Crazy. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, that, that was such an amazing experience, such an amazing ride. But after five years, Tristan, my co-founder was ready to start his own company again because he he actually had his own gaming company back in New Zealand before he came to London. And it probably also was time for me to, to move on, starting a company with someone who you have already worked with for such a long time and you have you know such aligned values with. Just felt like a once in a lifetime opportunity. So we took the leap together. That's really cool. Like you founded that company in 2017. Can you introduce Trail Mix to the audience? Yeah, sure. So yeah, we founded Trail Mix in December 2017. So we actually, Tristan and I had a six-month non-compete period from King. So we had six months where we actually couldn't really start Trail Mix, but that really gave us the opportunity to make sure we are fully aligned in terms of our vision for the company, to study up what investors are and how to talk to investors and what kind of investors could be the right investors for us. So I guess when we really got started in December 2017, we, we had such a good and aligned picture of what we wanted Trailmix to be. And that and those were really two parts. Like the, 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 the first and most important part was 
to create a company where people can truly be the best version of them. And also a company that reflects our audience. And I think for, for both Tristan and myself, the reason why we are in gaming is because then Facebook gaming and now mobile gaming real, really is for everyone. And we're humans and humans like to play. And, you know, like the reason why not every single person on this this planet is playing is because they haven't gotten the right games for them yet, right? And so really building a company that truly reflects this very diverse audience that, that we that we can serve and creating an environment where people are respectful to each other and are really, you know, coming together to create something amazing together. It's really like the first pillar. And then the, the second one is that Throughout our experience, and especially at King, you know, we learned how to make games that are really snackable, right? They're, they're perfect for your lifestyle. You can play them whenever you have a spare minute and they give you joy and delight. And I guess also from the from the Playfish experience, I I saw how games can emotionally touch people and how people can really engage with the games if you give them the opportunity to do so. And Tristan came, he actually studied English literature and he always felt very strong about, you know, strongly about storytelling. And so the the reason why we called Tramix Tramix is because we want to make games that are snackable yet nourishing. And, and the nourishing is really around creating the story world and creating characters and creating something that people can really care about. So much to un- unpack there. I think we need to come back to, to the game games that you've been working. I, I want to go a bit further into your history and your career in gaming and go to talk about your learnings from working with Playfish. So what are some of the things that you learned there? Some things that you still think about today? I, I actually talk a lot about pet society and restaurants, the city still, and it, it comes in, up in so many conversations because I guess what, what I really enjoyed about working on those games and also playing those games is just to, to see the emotional attachment of our audience with or the cafe that they run and just to... The, the community around that. And, and I feel that in games, the conversation is often about different player types, right? And what, what certain player types can engage with and what they cannot engage with, right? And I think there's a perception that a casual player is not really interested in a deeper and more meaningful experience or in a social experience. And I think that Playfish actually did prove the opposite because the player base at that time, I guess what, what we said was that it's kind of like women in their f- like 40s from like Midwest US, I suppose, right? And you, you wouldn't call them gamer per se, right? But they're, they're, they're humans that have the need to play and to connect over a common interest. And I think that's, that is still something that I think about so much and especially, you know, Animal Crossing and Animal Crossing success over the last year during, during the, or the last two years, I suppose, during the pandemic when everyone kind of like jumped onto this and the barriers for entry are obviously way bigger and it took a pandemic for, you know, like a, a much broader audience to engage with it. But I guess the principle is the same, right? It shows that this type of like broader audience is really interested in these more social interactions. Yeah, you're, you're definitely right. I, I think that those days of Facebook, when I was also making Facebook games, it was so cool to see the social graph of Facebook being utilized. That's the one big thing about missing about those days is 
like you can't really see what your friends are playing <laughs> or like at, even at that level it's so missing in mobile what are your thoughts about the things that you miss about those days yeah exactly that i i guess it it was so much easier to connect people with each other and it was also easier to create forums that that are directly connected to the game where people would just you know like go to and talk about things I think the, the mobile platform makes it inherently a bit more difficult to have yeah. these, you know, conversations in forums. At the same time, though, I don't actually think someone seriously has tried to find a way to give that outlet for mobile casual games specifically. So there, there's still a lot of room to make, make something similar happen. Yeah, definitely. We're just waiting for somebody to show it to us, maybe. Then you ended up at this very interesting role at King, where you went on to, to launch the London studio. What specifically prepared you to then set up Trail Mix after your experience at King? Yeah, we, we always say that setting up the, the London studio, effectively setting up a startup within a startup, which is obviously not entirely correct because it, it was much easier from that perspective, right? You don't have, there are lots of things that you don't have to worry about. But at the same time, though, it did give us the opportunity to set up something from scratch and define our hiring strategy, the way we work, the way we produce games, the way we work as a team. So I guess that like it was an absolutely invaluable experience in many ways. And of course, that is also where I met my co-founder Tristan and a lot of the people that we that we work with right now, obviously. But it really was a front row seat into seeing what hyper growth means. And I guess also to some extent how different strategies impact your decision making on a day-to-day -day basis. And so as I said, it, it was quite a crazy ride to prepare for the, I mean, first of all, releasing Farm Hero Saga and growing Farm Hero Saga and making it into um, a franchise. But then also as part of that, going through an IPO and going through, you know, the, the process of being acquired back to vision. And I think a, a lot, so there, there are lots of learnings that prepared us to set up Tramix in a sense to things that, that you know you should do and also things that maybe you should avoid so so it was a really great school right then when that moment came in 2007 how did you know that the, the entrepreneur's role was the right thing for you i definitely did not know <laughs> that it's okay <laughs> because tristan had uh, his own company back in new zealand before he moved to london i guess he he always knew that he wanted to do that again. So I think King was mostly a way for him to actually, you know, like work for a bigger company, really learn as much as he could to then go and set up his own company again. So, so we were talking about this, you know, like for a while, and I guess he was sharing his thoughts around, you know, like how it is to, to run his own company and talked a lot about how he and his friends bootstrapped and sat, you know, together in his bedroom making games, which to be honest, didn't sound super attractive to me. <laughs> but what did sound attractive to me was just the, the opportunity to start something from scratch and really have you know, like strong values that we are aligned on and that we that we execute on. And, you know, just the, the opportunity to create something special together that, that lasts for a really long time and that allows you to have a real impact on, 
on the people around you, if that's your, you know, like employees, your audience, the industry, the whole world. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with that. Talking about Trailmix, so the company founded in 2017, you've recently had a lot of success with Love and Pies, the, the game, which launched last year. Can you talk about some of the ups and downs from the journey with the company and what you've learned, especially from the, the downs? Yeah, so it's been it's been an interesting journey. As you know, the startup journey, it's never smooth sailing, right? So there, there are a lot of ups and downs. And we did have a lot of downs like throughout the, the last few years as we were trying to really execute on our vision and uh, make a game that is that truly feels snackable and nourishing and that, that feels different and that allows us to really compete in the market. And I guess our... Our ambitions were always high and we we didn't want to create something that 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 couldn't sort of like fulfill our ambitions, if that makes sense. Even even as the first game, I guess we were always we always had a desire to just create something that really reflects us as a as a team as, and as a company, and that is really, really worth our while. When we founded a company, we we took nine months or so to just prototype different sort of ideas, especially to kind of, you know, figure out what what a snackable core could be. At the same time, we learned how to do really great storytelling in gaming, especially at that time, there weren't that many examples, right? There was really just maybe like episodes and choices for like a, a mobile female gaming audience, but that wasn't exactly the direction that we wanted to go into. So, so there were a lot, lot of things that we needed uh, to figure out. And at that time, actually, I was really into Triple Town and Merge Dragons, which had just uh, launched. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> let's do something with this amazing Merge Core because like the discovery of it and like the fun of it, it's just perfect. You know, like let's find the next iteration of what does Merge could look like but obviously as we all know innovating on a new course really really tough we did think that we actually found a core mechanic that works really well it's so interesting when you have been in the industry for a while you do think at some point that you kind of have an idea of what can work and what can't work and you think you understand the audience <laughs> until yeah. the, I, until you realize that you really do not know what people actually want and what what works at any given point in time and so so we pushed the prototype actually pretty far until we actually put it into quantitative testing and we did a lot of qualitative testing throughout you know like the sort of like the prototype period and everything was really positive and people around us told us that you know it's great it's super fun and then we put it into quant test and it completely bombed <laughs> we were very confused by that because we really expected that you know like the first thing that we put out after a year into the life of the company is gonna take off immediately which i don't even know why we thought this <laughs> but yeah. but it didn't and so i think that that caused us to kind of like, whoa, step back a little bit and just really, you know, look at the way we're doing things and sort of like, you know, check our assumptions and also remind ourselves that actually you do need user feedback as quickly as possible because that is the only way to understand if your game is going to work or not. And so we then effectively moved into a process of pivoting and iterating and constantly changing things and we, we kind of said that love and pies is actually really five games and one game because you know like the the 
because we had just so many different changes and so many different iterations. And for example, we, we did completely change the meta, how the meta is structured and how the meta works. We changed the storylines three times until we found something that really works and resonates with the audience. We uh, tested four different core mechanics to really find the one that, that did the best. And so, so yeah, we just, we, we tried out so many things. And I guess the, the biggest downs, I guess we experienced were really when we thought that the change that we made was amazing and a major change to the game to then only realize that it had no impact whatsoever. It just didn't move the needles. And so I guess like, you know, then kind of like picking yourself up again, say, okay, this didn't work. Let's try something different. Like something is going to work. We just have to keep sort of like the, the motivation and the drive high and, and just keep trying until we find something that works. That, that's actually very interesting idea of how far can you actually push things like having that belief that you know eventually you will find the thing that works is it you're not pivoting you're sort of keeping part of the existing things that you've already built but making major changes how scary was that and how sure you were actually that you're doing the right things there it's a good question i think some part of we were very sure about others not so much yeah. but i guess we did feel there were a few elements of it that we felt we understood why they don't work, if that makes sense, right? So I think as long as you're not clueless about, you know, like, you know, why did, why did this not work? And we were 100% sure it works. As long as you kind of see sort of, you know, and even if it's after you get the data, when that realization comes, you know, as long as you see sort of the next steps that you can, where you can really truly have an impact and you see a glimmer of something that does work, then it's worth moving forward. For example, what, what was quite interesting for us is that our, our belief was always that a really strong storyline is, is going in itself is going to have a major impact on retention, right? But we didn't actually know that, right? It was just a strong belief and a feeling that we, that we, had and so we iterated on the story three times completely rewrote it and the third time when we when we tested it again it actually did increase our retention by 10 percentage points and we could we could feel as a team we had more fun creating the story because um, that's a story that we have in a game now, which is kind of like we, we call it cozy telenovela, very much about, you know, like mystery, trauma, romance. But just creating the storyline was just so much fun for us. We just had a feeling we were onto something and then seeing that it has such a drastic impact on retention. I think that, you know, like we use those little steps to sort of like verify our assumptions. And then once we had figured that out and that works, then we could focus on other areas of the game that we iterated on and changed. And so it's kind of, it's like taking different, you know, like puzzle pieces and you just try to put them all together in different variations. And once you know, one puzzle piece fits. You're just trying out sort of like the, the next puzzle piece, if that makes sense. Yeah. The, the whole merge genre being sort of something that two years ago you could enter with a very MVP uh, rough game and see excellent metrics. This is so, so clear because this is happening all over the, the game industry where you have a interesting new genre and then 
it gets populated by a lot of competition and the, the quality bar or what the customer wants goes higher and higher. You must have seen this in like as a realization as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that that was something that we actually were keenly aware of that also from our time working on match three games, because obviously we at Trailmix as a team, considering that a lot of sort of like the core team um, is from is ex-King, we, we all worked on major match three games that were really successful or still very successful, obviously. We all had a lot of conversations over the years with people who felt that the solution to all of their problems would just be to pop in a match three core (laughs) and it would work. And I can't tell you how many conversations we had where we argued that, no, it's not just about a mechanic. It's really about the execution and not everyone can make a good match three game. And I think a lot of people realize that over the years, right? And I think it's actually a good realization for the industry because I think there's a, there's a little bit of an arrogance and that, you know, like, oh, you can just you can just make a match three game and it's going to work because it's super easy. And then you realize that, no, that the details are just so, so, so important. And if you don't have this, the, those considerations and really the, the focus on making a really, really, really good match three core, then it's just not going to work. And I think exactly the same is true for, for the merge course as well. And so therefore there's a, there's a big difference between just popping in Emerge core and it works. And and true, it's probably in the early days when there's absolutely nothing out there and it's brand new. It probably works to some extent, but then like ultimately to really succeed, you do have to put the the love and the care um, into making something that really does stand out and that's that's really really good and really really polished and that's that's worthy of our audience's time. Yeah, I totally agree. I think like yeah. The best examples out there from match three is like dream games and royal match, like executing flawlessly something that's like a, a magical product when you play it. And yeah, and, yeah. and I actually I love the, the royal match story because I think that they they have proven that even in a in a very red ocean market, if you have a product that just stands out because of its execution and quality. And, and obviously a very good UA strategy, then you can yeah. still you can still succeed in that market. Yeah, totally. Hey, let's go and talk more about the founder work that you've been doing. How have you been tackling the challenges related to hiring great people? And have you have you picked up like good ideas from others on hiring and or is it mostly been a lot of uh, trial and error? We interviewed a lot of people during our time at King, especially during the, the hyper growth uh, phase. It felt like that at some point, all I did was interviewing people at some point. So, so I guess there were a lot of learnings from that. And we picked up a lot of yeah do's and don'ts, so to say. And I think the the most important one really that stands out is that quality will always be more important than quantity, right? And I actually think that during the time at King, that that was a mistake that we made, right? Kind of uh, fueled by this excitement of being super successful and, and being able to hire a lot of people and also, also also preparing for the IPO. We just hired too many people too quickly without ensuring that people still come together as a team, right? Because it, it really is all about a team. And even if you hire, even if you can hire the absolute rock stars, 
if they if they don't fit into your team or if they cannot work with other people effectively and well then they're probably not going to be the right fit for your startup and they're probably it's probably going to create more problems long term than anything right so i guess for trail mix we've been actually very very careful when it comes to hiring and because the team really is the most important you know, part of trail mix and what we're doing, I guess hiring is, that is obviously, you know, that is how, how it starts. <laughs> and, and if you're not careful when it comes to hiring, you, it, it would be really difficult to create an amazing culture, right? And so, so we made it always our priority to spend a lot of time with hiring and really finding great talent. And also we see it as our uh, job as founders to cast our net really widely, so to say, and, and find people who are that diverse talent that we're looking for that really reflects our audience. And, and it is more work to really find, you know, try to find people in, in more unexpected places, so to say, right? Because it's, it's, it's probably easier to just go to the, the go-to people in the industry who, you know, everyone knows. But I think we made a very conscious effort to reach people that might not even know that career lies in gaming, right? And, and yeah, and so, so I guess like really making it a priority and spending a lot of time reaching out to people and also reaching, reaching out as a founder or as a leadership team member is incredibly powerful, right? And it's, it's very likely that people are willing to talk to you when you reach out yourself instead of going by a recruiter, right? So I think that has been one of our biggest learnings that it, it, it does take a lot of time. And, you know, I've spent so many Saturdays and Sundays just like going through LinkedIn, stalking people, trying to find people that have an interesting profile, asking people if they want to talk to me, even if just casually, right? It, it's so much work, <laughs> but it's absolutely so worth it. Yeah, totally agree with the over quantity aspect. Have you thought about like when you, when you meet somebody who is like a like a great person, like a very good team fit, but maybe the the role that you were looking to put them into or that they would be placed into, they're not maybe at that level. Do you consider just bringing in great people and then making sure to figure it out later that they can actually do work? Yeah, that that of course happens quite often, actually, right? Also, we we do want people to encourage to talk to us, even if if there's not a role available right now. I think the the problem though is that if you don't have a very specific role for this person, they like you you do want to hire people with a purpose, right? And you do want to make sure that they come into your organization and they they have a clear role and uh, can create clear value to what you're doing, and so. I would be a bit worried about just bringing someone on, even if there's not a role, um, because then it might be really tough for them to find sort of like they, their way in the organization, especially in such a small company, right? We're still we're still only 25 people at this point, and I think for for those people that we that we meet but don't quite have a role open right now, 
we always try to uh, keep in touch, right? And it, it has it's, it has happened a couple of times where we didn't have that role, a specific role at this point in time, but then a year or two later, we actually did have something that, that could fit the person's profile. So I guess it's, it's part of the hiring process, right? Like also building up those relationships and then when it's an opportune moment on all, on all sides, you know, then, then maybe you can bring this person on board. That's great. How have you been studying becoming a founder or being a founder? How have you gotten better at being a founder besides showing up? I think I've been very lucky that then that I had a lot of people who were willing to spend their time talking to me and sort of sharing their experience. And to be honest, I think that's actually one of the really great things about sort of leaving a bigger company and being sort of like, you know, like jumping into the startup community because the the startup community, the the gaming startup community specifically is is actually a really friendly place. And, And my experience was just so very positive that there's so many people that that are happy to share their experience. And I guess also as a founder, you're you're excited about what you're doing, right? And and you you do you do to some extent like talking about <laughs> sort of your experience. And so I I benefited greatly from the people around me who who did take the time and just like talk me through their experience and the things that they you know, that worked for them, that didn't work, things to watch out for. So I would say it's mostly learning from others where I kind of like got my initial idea of what it actually entails to be a company founder and, and a CEO of a company. So so I, I really, really appreciate that. And to be honest, that actually continues to be the case. I talk to a lot of other founders who are more experienced than me and get their input. And I guess at this point, I also, you know, love to talk to less experienced founders and kind of like share my experience with them and sort of like give back the same, you know, like attention and support that I have experienced early on in my journey. Yeah, the, the whole experience of becoming a founder, it's actually when I'm talking to, as in putting my investor hat on and, and talking to founders, people are always on a journey. It feels like some are much more quicker at getting forward in the steps that usually happens when you when you start picking up things. So it's it's very interesting to to, to spot like somebody who is already a lot further, like with, with only a few years yeah. when they've spent actually time talking to other people, just learning this kind of vicariously what everybody else has already done and tried. Yeah, absolutely. And and to be honest, I think it's not always easy to ask for help, right? Especially when you when you when you're a first time founder, you do feel like, oh, I I should know this stuff by myself, yeah. right? And but but it's actually, I think it's so important to just put this aside and just be comfortable to ask for help and just say, hey, this is the first time that I'm doing this. Like, can you can you please share your wisdom? And yeah, yeah that is it kind of like it blows my mind how much you can learn from someone else just by talking to them for an hour. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, let's talk a bit about the, the company culture at Trail Mix. How have you been sort of shaping the culture at the company and where are you in the the work on the culture right now so i guess we believe that ultimately your culture is what what you do and not only what you say i suppose right and so 
Tristan and I do have pretty high standards for, you know, like our own behavior and how, how we want to be, you know, role models, because I guess that is what you are as a, as a founder, right? And I think if I would wrap it up in, in, in a few words, I guess, I would say that our, our culture is very much based on trust, mutual respect, and like truly wanting the best for each other and helping each other to achieve something great together. And at the same time, though, the expectation is that, you know, we do create this environment where people can be the best version of themselves and where they feel very safe and where they feel supported. But we, we do expect that, you know, they, they are really the best version of themselves and they show up and, and do their best every single day. And that is that is as part of the work, but also how they treat each other, how they treat the audience. And so I feel just having this integrity and sort of like the consistency, how you behave with each other is incredibly important. Yeah, I've seen that so much on like how how a culture gets shaped by what is the way that you react to bad stuff, like, you know, negative times in a company and how does the founder, how do the founders react to that stage? it really reflects to everybody else as well. Absolutely. And yeah. um, and I, I think that it's nice that because we had so many ups and downs over the last few years, it's I think it's it's really great that we have gone through so many different situations and that we we all got to know each other better in those different situations, even in very, very stressful, kind of like typical startup life or death situations and also now experiencing this success together right and so so I think it's it it speaks a lot for the culture that you know like people have been very consistent in their behavior and and I'm also very grateful that the team stuck with us through all of this right it's been it's been quite a journey but that you know like we stuck with the team and the, the the team stuck with us. And I think that that really has sort of like reinforced, you know, what our culture is. I totally agree with what you said in terms of like when when you go through a tough time, it is so important how, you know, like founders react and how they, they manage these situations. And I think the same is true for when you experience success, right? Because experience successes can also be harmful for a culture, if we're being honest, right? It's it's really, really important to really stay true to who you are as a company and, and what you set out to build. Yeah, exactly. Hey, before we go to the final questions, what has been the hardest thing that you've encountered in your startup career as a founder? There are obviously a lot of things, <laughs> but I do wonder if it's that the fact that your startup does feel very much like uh, an extension of yourself, right? And I think the whole startup journey, like the moment you leave sort of your kind of like relatively comfortable job in a big company where you establish pretty well, you know, like the, in that moment, you kind of like put yourself out there and you say that, hi, I'm Caro and I believe that I can raise money and that people will join me on this crazy journey, which like you really put yourself out there, right? Which is, which is so scary. <laughs> and so many. you're responsible for that, absolutely. like everything working. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess like from, from early on, it's really like your whole life, you know, become, becomes the, the startup effectively. And, and so, so I think you, you do take everything somewhat personal, right? Which is really difficult because 
think as a startup founder, you you will experience a lot of rejection, right? And, and to be honest, if you don't experience rejection, then you probably haven't tried hard enough. And, and I guess really like learning how to deal with this and finding a way to understand that not everything is about you personally. <laughs> there are lots of other factors that, that feed into that. It's a really important one. And to be honest, it actually took me way too long to kind of like make this uh, distinction between sort of like, this is this is the, the startup and the, the entity, and this is me as a person, and it's not all completely interwoven. I don't think there's like a clear guidance on how, how to, or I, I can't really give a clear guidance on how to do this, but I think it's just creating that awareness that, you know, you have to deal with the situation somehow, and that if you take everything personally, it is going to hold you back. So you have to, you know, you have to find a way for yourself to, to make that distinction. Yeah. Personally, for me, when I started this elite game developers, it really was that thing again. It was kind of like my third startup. So I, I was talking to some people about like having actually, like I didn't actually have any hobbies outside of doing work, which was really bad. I consider too much work being very all-consuming. Intentionally putting time aside from work has really helped. And also identify maybe because I, I, I really love to write a lot. So like I'm trying to work on my second book now. So more identifying myself as, a, as also a writer that I'm doing a lot of things, you know, wearing several hats so that one hat this doesn't become too overbearing for my <laughs> shoulders. Hey. Final questions for you, Kara. What's your favorite book and why? So I'm pretty sure that most people who are listening to this have never heard of the, this book. And I think that's actually why I chose it. It's it's called The Four Agreements. And it's actually, it's kind of a yogi favorite. So in the, within the yogi yoga community, it is pretty well known. And I really recommend everyone to read it because it's it's actually it's a very short book it's really easy to digest and so effectively the, the four agreements I feel are just real like four really good mantras to live by and so I'm actually just gonna briefly read them out so that the first one is be impeccable with your word the second one is don't take anything personally as we just discussed the third one is don't make assumptions and the fourth one is always do your best and I think like generally in life, but also in business, those are really like four very, very important things to keep in mind. If you keep them in mind and to some extent follow them, I suppose, I think it does improve kind of like the way you see yourself and also how you communicate with others and sort of what you bring to the, the table every every single day. And so it's, it's a bit esoteric in a way, right? Because it's a yoga book. But at the same time, I think it is actually very applicable to business. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like a very good book too to clear up things in your mind. I'll definitely pick it up. Do you have a, a story that shaped you in how you approach your work today? I don't think I have a particular situation or story, but I think sort of what I've experienced throughout, especially my journey in games, which now has been a 12 year journey and sort of like how I 
how I kind of like fell into gaming and how how much I feel I kind of like flourished in in that environment and and how much I get out of you know like being in gaming and do what I'm doing and I think the I guess like the, the two big learnings that I, that really shape my work are that A, everything is possible <laughs> because it is, everything is somehow possible if you just want it enough. And secondly, only surround yourself with people who, who are great people and who give you kind of like positive energy. And, and I think if, if you, if you kind of live by those two things then it definitely increases your chance of success hey this was so great caro so many cool things we could have talked maybe another few hours on these so but like for this time this was really good as the last question what's the best way for maybe newcomers to entrepreneurship to to get in touch with you or people who want to learn more about whale mix sure i'm i'm on linkedin and uh, I'm actually relatively good in replying to messages via LinkedIn. And I don't, I don't know, Joachim, if you are the sort of like the source for making connections. But if people obviously want to, you know, ask you to make an intro, then then that would work too. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Hey, thanks so much, uh, Caro. This was really good. A lot of learnings here. So all the best to you, and I hope to see you soon at some conferences, maybe <laughs> if they're coming. <laughs> Thanks so much. It was really lovely talking to you. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. If you like our content, please hit follow or subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is available. And in the meantime, please go and check out our website at EliteGameDevelopers.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter on what's happening in gaming startups. See you next time, guys. Bye-bye.